Awesome. We do want to welcome you to the Junction Church this morning. And uh, just a little shout out today to uh, Little Mason. Good to see you, buddy, and I uh, miss seeing you. Hopefully we get to see each other again. Um, otherwise, uh, just a reminder, online giving is always available through our website. You can hit, click the Give button, or you can simply just text the word Junction Church, one word, to 77977. That's the word Junction Church to 77977. Otherwise, uh, we are actually getting quite close to Easter. Easter is just around the corner. And so uh, as we approach Easter, we want to spend some time in the gospel stories. We want to spend some time focusing in on Jesus. And so uh, we're going to start a little series here called Portraits of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the reality how Jesus has uncovered for us or revealed to us the goodness and character and nature of God. And uh, it's just a beautiful time to spend time reading the Gospels because it is the Gospel stories that help us more than anything else, help us see who God really is. Sometimes when it comes to God, we will have theological statements or we'll pick out a phrase here and there, but the life of Jesus actually is a, a theological treatise, if you will, of the character of God. The way Jesus met people, the way Jesus talked to people, uh, the way Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and sinners is actually a theology of the character and very nature of God. And so as Hebrews says, we need to be fixing our eyes on Him. And it's so vitally important that we have the right view of God in our minds and in our being when we relate to Him. Because pretty much everything in our life is related to how we see God. Uh, first of all, uh, our view of God is really important because we will only be as close to God as our view of God actually is. We will only be as close to God as our view of God actually is. And we've talked about this here before, but this is so vitally important. I mean, if you picture yourself hanging out with a couple coworkers, and let's say one of these coworkers is, you know, sometimes he's kind of nice, but, you know, rather uh, often he is kind of judgmental or maybe condescending, or, uh, you know, when you, you come to him with a problem at work, he always seems to, you know, just kind of make you feel less than, uh, like you're totally messed up, and, and, uh, and you just have a really hard time opening up to him because he's kind of gossipy and judgmental and kind of harsh. Then you have this other coworker who just always seems to, to hear you and always seems to see you. And you can come to him with all kinds of struggles or junk and, and that person just, he just seems to lift you up with grace and meets you where you are and listens to your story. Now, which of those two coworkers are you going to feel closest to? Uh, which of those two co coworkers, if you're having a hard day, are you going to go to to just to let all that junk out of your spirit? I mean, it's probably not the first coworker. It's not going to be the coworker who is judgmental and harsh and maybe you're a bit afraid of. It's going to be the coworker who you know is going to listen. Uh, that coworker that you know is, is going to meet you in, in a loving manner. And it's the same with God. I mean, if we have a view of God that is kind of harsh and, and we're afraid of Him and, uh, you know, I better not reveal to Him what's going on in my life because, you know, He's just going to judge me and, you know, think I'm, you know, not righteous anymore or something like that, you're, you're never going to be very close to a God like that. But if you view a God who looks like Jesus, and by the way, God looks exactly like Jesus, but if you see a God that looks like Jesus, you're going to find yourself being drawn to that God. 
In fact, I have conversations with people all the time, and sometimes, you know, people chat with me, and they, and they say, you know, I just don't feel very close to God lately. And I always remind them that it's not on God's side, because God will never leave us nor forsake us. We, we are always surrounded in the presence of the triune God, and, the, and God is always sharing his love on us, but often it, it's a block in our own hearts. And often that block is actually our view of him, that we have a wrong view of him. And, and usually when people say, I'm not feeling very close to God, somewhere in that, and I understand that can be very complicated things sometimes, but somewhere often in that is they have this subtle view that, that God is angry with them or you know, that they're afraid of God or they can't really open up to God because their view of God actually doesn't look like Jesus. In fact, the, the text we just read before this message in 1 John says, there is no fear in love. And just a reminder, God defines himself as love. Just, just right before this passage, it says God is love. And it says there is no fear in love. But perfect love, which God is, casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. And in other words, if we're still afraid of God, we're missing we're missing the love. We're missing being perfected in love. And the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But when you walk in that wisdom long enough, you realize that, that perfect love casts out that fear and that you can just rest in his presence. And, and, you, and you, just, you can release yourself and you can be close to him and that you don't have to fear punishment because Jesus took care of that. He said, it is finished. Again, this passage is so clear. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. In fact, the verse right before this says, as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. You're, you will only be as close to God as your view of him. And if your view of him is that he's angry and he's going to judge you and slam you and condemn you, I mean, you're always going to be distant I mean, Jesus has done it. He has dealt with sin. There is no condemnation. You are free to enter boldly into the very throne room of grace because God looks like Jesus. And secondly, your view of God will shape how you interact with people around you. The way you interact with people around you says a lot about how you actually see God. And if you see God as kind of harsh and, uh, you know, he's all about the rules, then you will actually treat people that way. Um, I mean, the story in John chapter 9, and we looked at this briefly in our previous series, but the story in John chapter 9 is about a blind man who was born blind from birth. Jesus comes across him one day, and this is the guy that Jesus kind of spit in the mud and made the little mud and smeared it in his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool, and he does, and, and he can see. Uh, but imagine being this blind man, uh, spending your whole life blind, and now he can see. And uh, we get indication from the text that people would look at this blind man and look at his parents, and, and, and they kind of thought that if you were blind or something, then obviously it was the, 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 the parents had sinned. You know, Somehow they really messed up, and that's why that person is blind. And imagine being under all that condemnation. Imagine being this blind man's parents and having everybody think that you somehow sinned, and that's why your son was born blind, and, and now Jesus heals this blind man. 
Imagine the release of shame the parents felt. Imagine the freedom this blind man felt. Imagine the joy and the excitement because now he could actually go into the temple. He, he would have been pushed back from the temple because he was not perfect. And now he was free and, and healed. Just imagine the joy. But along come the religious folks in John chapter 9. And it says this. They took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them. He, that's Jesus, put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do miraculous signs? I mean, the Pharisees, for the most part, looked at Jesus, and you know, they thought he was demonized because he was breaking the rules. I mean, we look at the, the Pharisees' reaction to this. There is no joy. There is no excitement. There is no empathy with this blind man. It is all harsh and judgmental. The, the passage, just, just some various verses in verse 17, it says, the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who has healed you? In verse 18, it says, they called in his parents. Uh, verse 24 the second time they called in the man, they called in the man who had been born blind. Verse 28, it says they cursed him. And there's 34. It says, you were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. I mean, they, they chucked him out of the synagogue. They cursed him. <laughs> I mean, how could these folks who were supposed to be in love with God, uh, supposed to be teaching God, be so judgmental and harsh and condescending? Well, the reason is because that was their view of God. Their view of God was that God was only about the rules and Jesus broke the rules and he healed on the Sabbath and Jesus made mud and you're not supposed to mix stuff. I mean, they thought God was only about rules and God didn't like sinners and so this is how they treated the blind men. No joy, no excitement, no empathy, just harsh and condemning. I mean, the reality is if you view God that way the Pharisees did, you will treat God harshly. And sometimes you might wonder, because sometimes you might run into folks who claim to follow God, and, and they're incredibly harsh and judgmental and condescending and mean. It's like, how could you be like that if you say you follow God? Well, usually it's directly related to how they see God. If they see God as harsh, and you know, you better be afraid of him, he's going to get you, you will treat people that way. If you think God is all about the rules and doesn't care about actual human beings, then, then you will treat other, other people in, through the lens of are you following the rules or are you not following the rules. In fact, this has been proven by science. Uh, Timothy Jennings in this book called The God-Shaped Brain, studying how, 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 how neuroscience really shows a lot about how God works, uh, he, he quotes a study and he said this, when participants meditated specifically on a God of love, such meditation was associated with growth in the prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain right behind our forehead where we reason, make judgments, and experience God-like love. And subsequent, uh, so in other words, if you pray or meditate on a God of love, he says it actually increases your capacity for empathy, sympathy, compassion, and altruism. And he found the op opposite happened. If you prayed to a God which you thought was kind of harsh or you prayed to a God that was just about you know, right and wrong and rules and didn't really care about loving things, that they actually found through studies that you actually became more judgmental yourself. You actually became more harsh with people. You became more distant. You didn't have the same empathy. 
I mean, right there, science has shown that your view of God actually affects how you treat other people. So it is vital that we have the right view of God. In 2 Corinthians 3, it says, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. And neuroscience has shown this, that we are exactly transformed into the image of God that we have. And, but if we have the wrong view of God, we're going to be transformed into the wrong image. And you end up with folks like the Pharisees who cannot have a single ounce of joy when someone who has been born blind is healed. All they can do is judge. It's because their view of God is like that and their brain is wired that way because they were praying and meditating on a God who is just like that. All that being said... This is why we gotta focus on Jesus. This is why we gotta be Jesus people. This is why we gotta lean into him because God looks just like Jesus. If your God doesn't look like Jesus, then there's something wrong. <laughs> I mean, God looks like Jesus. In fact, in John chapter five, Jesus said this. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And so Jesus was saying every single action that Jesus did was exactly a Father action. It was a God action. Everything that Jesus did was exactly in line with the Father. In other words, it's revealing the nature and character of God. And this is why it is so important to be saturated in the Gospels because the stories of Jesus is a theology of who God is. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And so when you're reading the Gospels, every word that comes out of Jesus' mouth is, is the word of God. It reveals who God is. Every action that Jesus performs is an action that is exactly revealing the character and nature of who God is. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Jesus is the reflection of God's glory and the exact not, not a close, but the exact imprint of God's very being. Jesus wasn't like a side gig, you know, where sometimes he revealed God and sometimes he didn't. And, you know, it was kind of wrestling. No, he's the exact imprint of God's being. So to see Jesus is to see God in the most clear way. In fact, let me just read some other translations. Now, Jesus expresses the very character of God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the exact representation of his being. He is the rep representation of his essence, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mere image. The son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. And so when you read through the Gospels, you, you get to pick up on who God is and his nature, which helps us understand the kind of God that we follow. And, and it's no accident that in John's Gospel, the very first miracle that the author of John, uh, Gospel of John writes is, is Jesus turning water into wine. I mean, the very revelation of the character of God in John's Gospel begins with this Jesus turning water into wine, going to a party which had, you know, kind of gone down the hills because they ran out of water, where the groom would have been filled with shame because he was supposed to provide enough wine and he runs out and, and Jesus steps in and he removes the shame from the groom and he takes water and he desecrates these religious vessels, uh, pots and makes wine. I mean, it's a revelation of God. The God is actually more uh, 
interested in removing shame than he is about keeping religious icons safe. And he's more interested in, in having people enjoy the, the gathering rather than keeping religious icons safe, you know, the religious vessels. I mean, it's a revelation of God's character. We see Jesus constantly hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Again, the Pharisees had a view of God that, that God would never do that. You know, he's gonna condemn the tax collectors and sinners, but Jesus is hanging out with them Again, this is a revelation of who God is because everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said is an exact representation of God's very nature and character and being. You see, Jesus meeting the woman at the well who was an outcast in most people's mind because she was a Samaritan, and not only a Samaritan, but she had been divorced not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times. This is why she, in the story, she goes, she goes and collects water in midday at noon, it says. You know, everybody else would get the water in the morning when it was cool, but, but I mean, she would probably have been so ostracized in the community, she's not gonna go get, get water when all the other women are going because she would have been a total outcast. So she has to go when it's hot, to just, so she's away from people to try to protect herself, and there, Jesus, there, God himself meets with her. God doesn't condemn her. God doesn't slam her. God doesn't throw her down the well. God doesn't judge her. He meets with her and reveals himself to her and actually makes her sort of the first missionary, if you will, of the Samaritan area. That's God. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said was a revelation of the character of God. We see Jesus reaching out and touching lepers. I was against the law, I was against the rules, but Jesus did it because God is more concerned about connection and loving people than following all the, the rules of the Old Testament. I mean, the Pharisees would never touch the leper. Lepers weren't around in the temple. They weren't. They were unclean. Yet Jesus, the very revelation of God, goes and he touches those lepers and he brings healing and he cleanses them. You know, it's an interesting exercise to just read, instead of actually reading the Gospels, just read all the chapter headings. And if you go into the book of Matthew, right after the Sermon of the Mount, here's just some of the chapter headings. Again, this is revealing who God is. This is revealing the very nature of the God we serve. Jesus cleanses a leper. Lepers are outcasts. Jesus heals a centurion sermon. Romans, they were considered the enemies, but Jesus steps in and heals a servant. Jesus heals many at Peter's house, would-be followers of Jesus. Jesus stills the storm. Jesus heals the, the gathering de demoniacs. Jesus heals a paralytic. The call of Matthew, who is a, an outcast tax collector, hated by most people. The question about fasting, because he was breaking the religious rules. A girl restored to life and a woman healed. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals one who was mute, and on and on and on. This is revealing who God is. This is revealing the God that we pray to. This is revealing the God that we proclaim. It is not the God of the Pharisees. It is the God that Jesus reveals who looks very different than the God of the Pharisees. And of course, you know, the highlight, of course, for me, at least in the Gospels, is in Luke when Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son of the son who was a part of the family and the son who, who disowns the father and, and basically says, I, you know, I wish you were dead and he takes his inheritance and he runs away. Now most people's view of God would be that God, you know, I never want to have to do anything with a person. I'm going to, you know, make that person burn in hell forever and ever. But no, when the son returns, it says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming 
and filled with love and compassion, he runs to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And, God, and Jesus says, this is like God. This is the God we serve. Even the son in the story had a wrong view of God. You remember when he was coming home, he's like, well, maybe, maybe the father who's a representation of God, maybe he will just accept me as a, you know, as a lowly servant. And then the son's view of God wasn't actually in line with who God is. And sometimes even as sons and daughters, our view of God can get a little twisted. And this is why we always need to go back to Jesus. Always go back to Jesus because the character and nature of God is most clearly, clearly seen in the life of Jesus. Even when it comes to Jesus' enemies, we learn a lot about the character of God through Jesus in relation to the bad guys or the enemies. You know, Jesus foresaw the destruction of Jerusalem. About 40 years after Jesus lived, the whole city of Jerusalem would be destroyed by the Romans. And, and, and it's these very people who, who would throw Jesus on the cross because it was, it was the people of Jerusalem who actually were quite against Jesus. Jesus actually did not spend a lot of time in Jerusalem. Almost all his time was spent in Galilee and other places. He only went to Jesus to Jerusalem a few times in only short periods of time. Um, this is why the, it was the Jerusalem crowd who called out, crucify him. It wasn't the Galilean crowd that he knew. But a lot of people in, in Jerusalem were against Jesus. And, and yet Jesus doesn't respond by like, yes, let's get him, let's burn them up. In fact, we see in Luke chapter 19, it says, when he drew near and saw the city, he, he weeps over it. Again, everything at Jesus, these tears are a revelation of who God is. These tears are a revelation of the very character of God. And in Matthew 23, he, the story says, after he's, he's crying, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. It doesn't say here, you know, you've killed the prophets and you stone those people, so I'm going to get you and I'm going to burn you up and I'm going to make you suffer. Oh, the very heart of God says, how often I have desired to gather you children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing that even the enemies, God through Jesus is reaching out and saying, I love you and I want you to see me and I want to hold you close. I want to be the father of the prodigal son to you. In John chapter 1, it says that no one has ever seen God. This is the opening chapter of the Gospel of John. You might say, whoa, wait, wait, what about in the Old Testament? I there were folks who saw God. Didn't Moses see God? Didn't Moses see God face to face? John says, no, 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 no. No one has seen God. No one has seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and as in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. You see, it is Jesus who makes God known. This is why Jesus came. One of the reasons he comes is to reveal to us so that we would no longer have to figure out what is God like? Is he mean or harsh or nice or loving or what is the character of God? No, no, we know now because Jesus has made him known. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. And, and of course, the ultimate revelation of the character of God is found on the cross. God is a cross-like God. In fact, in, in Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, or chapter 1, uh, uh, Paul calls the cross the very power of God. And when you think of the very power of God, what do you think? <laughs> Sometimes when I think of a miracles or, you know, Mount Sinai, things exploding, because that's the way we think of power. You might think of power as, you know, power over others, because that's the kind of power we like. But no, no, no. The God of the universe says, when it comes to my power, 
it is most ultimately seen in the cross. The very power of God is seen in Jesus dying for others on the cross. And in Mark 15, again, these stories about Jesus reveal the character of God. It says, they crucified two rebels with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults at him. And there, the very revelation of God is hanging on the cross and people are insulting. The two thieves are throwing insults at Jesus and they're mocking him in the most crazy, harsh ways. And, and, and again, how does your view of God, I mean, how, how does your God respond to that? <laughs> you know, I know a lot of folks who would think God's going to respond with hate and judgment and ugliness. And, but, but again, the nature of God is most clearly seen in Jesus. And if your view of God doesn't line up with the revelation of God in Jesus, then there's something wrong with your revelation of God because no one has seen God, but we see God in Jesus. Most clear in Jesus. And what does Jesus say on the cross? Again, every word, every prayer, every action of Jesus, if we roll back to the beginning of this message, was exactly in line with the Father. This prayer comes from the Father's heart as it, as it enters, as it, it comes out of Jesus, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. This is God's heart towards his so-called enemies. This is God's heart towards you know, you and I, when we're rebelling against God, I mean, he's just like, Father, forgive them. Again, God is wanting us to, to, to bring us close. He's wanting to bring his enemies close to us. Even the thief on the cross. You remember the text says both of them were hurling insults at Jesus. And then in this moment, this thief just kind of, you know, the, right before he dies, he has this, this sudden change of heart. The thief says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, how would your God reply to that? A lot of people say, well, it's too late now. I mean, you spent your whole life as a rebel and you just, you hurled insults at me and, you know, if you deny me, I'm gonna deny you and, you know, I'm gonna get you. And no, 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 no. Jesus replies, truly I tell you, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. This, this open, loving heart that God has. And this is Jesus actually living out what he taught. This is Revealing the character of God. This is living out what Jesus taught in Luke chapter 6. And notice, again, every word Jesus says is exactly in line with the Father. And notice when Jesus says this, that he's saying that this is the character of God. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. And we see this, that God is good and compassionate to His enemies. We see that most clearly revealed on the cross. As He's hanging there and insults are coming His way. And He doesn't respond with vengeance. He doesn't respond with anger. He responds with love. Jesus reveals to us who he is. And sometimes people say, well, wait, 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 Jesse. 
What about Jesus in the book of Revelation where he's coming down you know, to, to destroy the world and he's got a sword and he's got blood flowing down his legs? It's like, oh, wait a second. I mean, so first of all, we don't get clear theology from the book of Revelation because it is the most symbolic book in the world, uh, apocryphal language. Secondly, I mean, why do you so quickly associate Jesus and blood with him killing enemies? When biblically, the association of Jesus and his blood is him dying for his enemies. Why do you so quickly associate Jesus with the sword as him trying to kill his enemies when, you know, the whole idea of the sword in, in the scriptures often is the word of God. This is Jesus uh, coming with the, cr- the blood of the cross. This is Jesus coming with the word of God's love coming down into the nations. I mean, uh, again, the clearest revelation we have of God is not going to be found in obscure texts. It's going to be found in Jesus. He is the revelation of who God is. I mean, Colossians chapter one says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Colossians 2, 9, it says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. And so if you're ever confused on the nature of God, if you're ever confused when you're praying to God, and you're confused, maybe you're reading various places in the scripture, just go back to Jesus. (laughs) He is the ultimate, clear, perfect picture of who God is. And I just again encourage you to read the Gospels over this Easter. Every story that Jesus, uh, that talks about Jesus interacting with people, that is theology about who God is. Every word that comes from our mouth is a theology of who God is. And ultimately, the very nature of God is found on the cross. In fact, the very definition how God defines himself is actually defined by the cross because it says God is love. And then later, John says, how do we know what love is? He says, we know what love is by Christ dying on a cross. I mean, the very definition of who God is is wrapped up in this loving heart of God that weeps over his enemies, that, that, that is wanting to forgive those who are, who are torturing him. And, and the more we saturate ourselves with Jesus, we're just gonna find ourselves naturally being drawn to God. And because we're drawn to people who are loving, we're, we're drawn to a God like that. And it helps with our mission in loving people. Because again, neuroscience has shown that when you pray to and meditate on the God of love, who our God is, you will actually find yourself just naturally extending love to others instead of judging, naturally extending your arms to help people rather than pushing them away. Brad, Brad Jerzak says this, a completely good God whose nature is pure love produces people who imitate him by exemplifying love. That God who willingly laid down his life for others inspires loving followers who are truly free. Free to move beyond the slavery of self-seeking into self-giving, sacrificial love because we know that's who God is because that is the God Jesus revealed. So Father, we we thank you. I wouldn't have to try to guess (laughs) about your character and nature. God, I thank you that when we open ourselves up in prayer and in worship, that we don't have to be you know, stuck in the dark to how you're gonna respond. Because God, you sent Jesus. And we see in Jesus yourself being perfectly mirrored. And we thank you, God, that your love perfectly and absolutely casts out all fear we have. And that we can boldly come into your throne room of grace. And God, we thank you for your power. We just, God, we just pray as we saturate our love, our lives in your presence and in your nature, God, that that would just continue to change us. 
so that we might just naturally more and more easily carry out your mission to love people as you have loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.